Welcome to PMC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm Saskia Epstein, Senior Vice President of PNC Bank in New England, alongside my co-host, Carolyn Jones, Market President and Publisher of the Boston Business Journal. Thanks, Saskia. It's great to be with you on PNC C-Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. We're here today with a special episode of PNC C-Speak, featuring a topic everyone connects with, the business of sports. We're thrilled to bring you a dynamic discussion focusing on the challenges and opportunities in the exciting sports industry. Moderated by Dr. Keith Motley, Professor Ecology Management at UMass Boston, with panelists Zineb Curran, Senior Vice President and Chief Communications Officer of the Boston Red Sox, Damika Fields, General Counsel for Global Sports Marketing and Data Privacy at New Balance, Jessica Gelman, the CEO of Kraft Analytics Group, and Wick Grosbeck, Governor of the Boston Celtics. We're going to start out with a question that I want all of our panelists to answer. We didn't come here to sort of listen to what was. Lots of us in the room are futurists, so we want to know What's the landscape of sports going to look like? And what's your thinking about the future of sports? And what we need to do to sort of help move that landscape that way. You know, we know our mental models of what it used to look like, and it's going to be shifting. So someone can start that for us. We work across all of the professional sports leagues, so we do a tremendous amount with the NFL across the leagues, the Sixers, the Sacramento Kings, Mississippi State. Innovation in a meaningful way was at the top of the list. And in particular, I would say personalization and engagement with fans. So what we hear and and what we hear meaningfully, and we provide kind of two components for our clients. One is a technology platform where we're helping our clients better engage their fans, creating more personalized experiences through customer segmentation, and it's very craft analytics group, those components. So how can we help capture more data on fans in order for the teams to provide exactly what the customer might want? I'll use myself as an example. You know, I have two young kids, busy all the time. Going to a sporting event for me is about ease. And I want to be quick in, quick out, not spend time. Like, right? So me, like what I want, the organizations need to know. Me, 20 years ago, was like, I'm going to go to the game. I'm going to arrive there three hours early. I don't care when I get home. And I think that kind of understanding of of the fans is what is massively evolving and is able to evolve because of the amount of data that is now available that accelerated massively. This, I think it was something like 78 zettabytes. So if you want to know what a zettabyte is, it's 21 O's this past year in 2021. That's a 25% increase from... Jessica, what's 22 O's? uh, A zettabyte plus one. Oh, good answer. Um, good answer. But, but, the, but the overall com- impact of this is that we have so much more data and it, to understand our fans uh, universally. And the big things that we're seeing most significantly, you guys have heard about NFTs. 
it's a very, very small portion of the population mm. that has a crypto wallet, which is where you'd keep an NFT today, like less than 4%. Um, if we look at like mobile wallets and the acceleration of that over the past 10 years, it was maybe like 5% 10 years ago. Today, it's at 45% with the growth of the population. We're still only looking at in 10 years at 20-ish percent adoption of people having crypto wallets. So you're hearing a lot about it. But what's going to be a major driver of the adoption? Sports. And what is sports going to do? And how are they going to leverage it? It's going to be about creating fan loyalty. So if you have a Celtics NFT, then maybe, or three of them, once you get three for attending games, or maybe you buy something or whatever, maybe you get to, you know, hang out with Wick, you know, baseline at a game, just an idea, Wick. Um, Great experience. But but that is, that's the evolution and, and, and innovation that is happening, this personalization and being able to better understand what fans want and give it to them more easily and quickly. So I'll give us fashion spin on it um, because this is what I deal with daily with some of our athletes and it's, um, let's say a battle, but it's a constant conversation. Um, on the fashion side, we're continuing to see our athletes want to have their own brand and a lot of them have their own brand. But of course, when you sign up with a um, another brand, you know, to be an endorser, you have to, you know, merge with them. But now our athletes, they're influencers, right? They see themselves as they're at the top of the fashion game. They want to work with all of these other companies that may not be an athletic wear brand, but they also have athletic wear in their, uh, I would say, in their arsenal. And so it really is trying to find common ground with the athlete to help brand them in the way that they want to rebrand them and help them to feel like creators because that is what sets you apart, right? The signature shoe is hot. Everybody wants a signature shoe, no matter if they're LeBron, which of course he's going to get one, but then if you look at... Or Dr. Motley, who's still oh, waiting yeah, on yeah, his yeah, right, right, signature right, right. New Balance right, I know shoe, that's my professorial yeah, shoe. I saw that contract come across my desk. <laughs> I'm looking at it. I'm reviewing it. Okay. Uh, but yeah, everyone wants a signature shoe. Everyone wants a signature line. Everyone wants royalties, right? And so it's like, okay, we want to work with you to create a product that feels near and dear to your heart. Um, but we also need to make sure that the other partnerships that the athlete has, you know, don't interfere with ours. And that's something that's every day. Everyone wants to be hot. Everyone wants to wear their Balenciagas, right, on the plane and all these things. You're like, those are great. I love them you know, which I can wear them, but let's make sure it's in the bounds of our partnership. And if you are going to do a deal with one of these third party brands, how can we all, you know, get involved so that we can have that partnership with you and that brand and help you to stand out from your peers, which everyone wants to, again, stand out and be that individual. And so that's something that, you know, I'm constantly looking at, we're constantly having conversations about, like, we want to make you hot, popping, lit, whatever the term is. <laughs> we just need to make sure that we do it together in these partnerships. So that's what the outlook, that's one of the big things, the outlook for us. Feel smarter already. It's amazing. Um, so I'm going to take an old school view of the future a little bit. Uh, we just spent, what, two years in the metaverse. We're in Zoom every day. We were over here, pretending to be over there, pretending to be together, but it was all pixels and digital, and we were Zooming, and how do you feel being back in person, right? A yeah. hundred times better. Yeah. 
So I hear every single day and read every single article about the metaverse and virtual this and NFT that, and let's digitize all this. It's going to be so much better, and let's do all this. You know what? Sitting at a game and being there, sitting in person and connecting, that's the fundamental for thousands of years. We've been having sports that way, and we're not going to lose that at the Celtics or anywhere else. I think that's it's fine to have digital. It's, better. it's great that the Celtics can be streamed all over the world and the Patriots and the Red Sox. It's, uh, I mean, I kind of like having our model of equality and respect and teamwork go to places like, let's say it, Russia and China, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the citizens up till recently have been able to watch, you know, the way we do it over here. And, uh, but anyway, I, I'm going to start with old school and then we can add a little digital on as icing on the cake, but not the other way around. I think for us at the Red Sox, the future for us is making sure that we're attracting younger fans. That is critical for us. Um, and also making sure that the fans that are in our ballpark are an accurate reflection of the city of Boston and the diversity that we see in our city. That historically has not been the case for us. We're working really hard to change that. Um, in terms of younger demos, we've got a program called the Student Nines program where you can come into Fenway Park for just $9 if you're a high school student, college student. So we've really been, that's a program we launched five years ago. And I think last season we finally saw that kind of come to fruition and saw the results of that five years of work finally uh, take place. And so that is one area that we're hyper-focused on. I think we're um, also looking to market our team in new and unique and different ways so that people see themselves reflected back in the advertisements that we're putting out and the marketing material we're putting out. Um, and an example of that is just our City Connect jerseys that we launched last season with our partners at Nike. Um, you know, they're the bright yellow jerseys with the blue B, not in our color scheme typically, but they were very different. And we were working with a company in Nike that was just open to doing things in a different way. Um, and so we actually looked at the city of Boston. We recruited influencers, creators, uh, artists from Lawrence, Roxbury, Mattapan, and we featured them in the advertisement for those jerseys because we wanted it to be part of the new Boston. And we wanted to make sure people felt like, A, they're always welcome at Fenway Park. You are a member of this community and you need to be part of our fan base and you need to know that you have a place in our ballpark. Um, and so that's been a really critical part of our work and will be a f- part of our work moving forward is making sure we're connecting with younger audiences and diverse communities within the city of Boston and throughout New England to make sure that they know that this is their home and that they're welcome here. So beside the one we talked about earlier, what's a sports story that you've been watching closely recently and why? Uh, It's kind of a boring one. For me personally, I'm looking at the influx of institutional capital into sports you're seeing That's now. not boring. <laughs> it's interesting to me, but I don't know how interesting it is to other people. Um, but it also has a lot of applications for us at the Red Sox. Our parent company, Fenway Sports Group, just announced last March. Um, Redbird Capital came on as a partner of ours. Arctos Sports is also a partner of ours. And so you're seeing these sports franchises that used to be run like small businesses, mom and pop shops, family owned, are now seeing this influx of institutional capital. 
and just watching what they'll do with that and how that changes the dynamic of sports and how that changes how people run their franchises is something that I've been watching and, and would be really interested to see. And I know for us, it's put us in growth mode. And obviously, we just purchased a hockey team uh, at the end of last year. We're looking to grow. I think our ownership group has been uh, very vocal about their desire to continue to grow the portfolio. And so it's an exciting time to kind of see uh, what they continue to add. But at the center of it are the Boston Red Sox. This was the first purchase they made because they loved baseball. And this was a passion project. Okay, anybody else? This is what it's like talking to John Henry or Tom Warner. It's like, <laughs> they'll say, hey, Wick, what'd you do last week? I said, oh, I, uh, I, well, I mostly worked and I worked out a couple times. And they go, I go, what'd you do? Oh, we bought an NHL team. <laughs> Oh, really? The Bruins? No, no. In another city. It's like, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> off the record. What? No. <laughs> they like to keep us on their toes. Um, it's keep us guessing. Yeah. Unfortunately, the, the story I've been reading the most is Brittany Griner is a WNBA star. Yes. And, um, in jail or now, I guess, prison, which is different in Russia. And uh, that is a story I'm following and trying to understand. And good people over here are trying to figure out what can be done, but when you take an ordinary human being and 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 all of a sudden there's the machinery of a you know potential world war and mm. clearly a, I don't know whatever you know you don't want to be caught in that situation and she is and so I'm thinking about her. In addition to the Brittany Griner story, which I think a lot of us or most of us should be paying attention to, I would say I'm really interested in how social justice that narrative will continue to go, right? It was a really hot topic, right? It seemed like everybody was jumping on when um, when we there was nothing else we could do, right? When we were just like stuck at home, um, you have the George Floyd murders. I just moved from Minneapolis, so that was like three miles from me. So it was just like in our face, in that community around the world. But now it's settling down, right? Like now we're going back to work, we're going back to our stadiums, our arenas. So how do we really continue to stay engaged in that? And how do companies, corporations, businesses make sure that it wasn't just a hot topic for the time, right? Which as a black woman, I totally understand it being the hot topic, right? Like it was really hot, it's still really hot to be black, black and professional, right? Like everyone is looking for that diversity, right? It's still a trending word. But I'm like, okay, now, you know, our Black Souls, which are, is our Black employee resource group in New Balance, and we have a few others, we're all pushing like, okay, now that it's kind of calmed down a bit, are you still putting your money and your resources where your mouth is? Because that's really big to us. It's big to our athletes. It's big to hopefully um, a lot of our teams. So that is what I'm always watching is to make sure that doesn't fall by the wayside because now it's not as hot. Like we're still going to put the push in and in the hiring, right? Your executives, not just at the bottom, but at the top. Whole thing, I can always go down that rabbit hole. But that's one of the stories that I am watching and will continue to watch. There's two that I'm watching and they play off of both of what what the the two of you said. The first is I'm very closely watching how the international um, athletic community is responding to to Russia's invasion and the differing perspectives and opinions, what FIFA has done, uh, what the NBA has done, all of the leagues. And uh, it's... I'm hoping there is more consistency over time, but I think there's an amazing ability for uh, the world to come together in a way that maybe we haven't seen before. 
And I think that's really interesting. The second thing is playing off of um, the equity and equality in hiring. I love March for many different reasons, but most specifically because it elevates, you know, the the challenges in hiring. You know, I'll say specifically for women and the need and focus that we need to have in that particular space. You know, as a woman who is the CEO of a sports company that's tech and analytics, that's pretty unusual. And so it's a it's a big focus for me to um, kind of that see it be it, but also for for my two boys, the the see it respect it. So, you know, this it's a big area of focus in terms of like how can we use our platform to help raise awareness uh, and continue to raise awareness for for that need, um, especially at the executive level. So they want to know, they're saying it's about time Someone raised the DNI equity issue. Thank you, Damika, and others for raising that. What are we doing in sports to raise these equity issues on the field or courts or whatever, in the stands, but also in the organizations that we're sort of working with? Give us some examples of, of some of that. And I'm glad we got to that because I wouldn't have wanted to leave here with the five-minute flashes and all that. I'm seeing people getting prepared to ask while I'm asking that question. I'd love to weigh in on that. I do want to just say it is remarkable the difference that just one person can have on an organization. And an example of that at the Red Sox, we have someone named Molly Harris in our HR department. She is a recruiter for our organization, and she's specifically making sure that we are hiring in an equitable way. And she, about a year and a half ago, came across a resume. We were hiring for coaching staff, um, and she came across a resume, and in the margins of that resume, she just wrote, wow, exclamation point. And that resume was Bianca Smith's resume, the first black coach um, Mm. on a pro team. Mm. And... So Molly made sure that that resume was passed along to the people in baseball operations, that it was at the top of the list, and that they paid attention to it. And when they saw that resume, they were equally as impressed as Molly was. Bianca Smith is part of our minor league coaching staff. She um, is a lifelong passionate baseball fan, and she is the first black woman on a pro sports coaching staff. So it's historic hire. Um, and just a few months ago, we hired our second female member of our coaching staff, Katie Crawl. So now we have two women in uniform, which for baseball is just absolutely incredible. But that doesn't happen without the Molly Harrises in the HR department, making sure that those resumes get passed along, that we're not just hiring from the same pool of people that we've looked at time and time again. And so I just want to mention her because she's made such a remarkable difference in our organization. And then more broadly, um, obviously, in the wake of the George Floyd murders, that really shook everybody. Um, And like a lot of other companies and sports institutions, we really took a hard look at ourselves to see what we were doing to contribute to this issue. We created a social justice, equity, and inclusion committee. Some of my colleagues, Marcita Thompson and Pam Ken, are here who were also on that committee. And what we did was listen first to our employees to hear what 
the feedback that they had about the things that were going on in our organization or with our fans. And we came up with buckets of work to tackle all of the issues that came up. You know, it's funny, I look back now, the timelines we attached to some of these buckets of work, we said, oh, you know, this will take us three to six months. And this one, maybe six to 12 months. And this one, well, maybe that one will take two years. And we laugh at it now because the work is hard and it's slow and it takes time if you want to do it right. And when you want to engage with your employees to make sure that they're a part of it and making sure that they're helping to shape it so that it's impactful and meaningful and not just a top-down delivery of, of information and change. And so we're just on the cusp of starting to implement some of the things that we've explored and, and came to light for us. We know we need to do a better job and we know there's no end date to this work. There's no finish line. It has to be talked about, discussed every day. And I think when I come out of this meeting, I'm actually going to our social justice, equity, and inclusion <laughs> meeting, which is at 10 a.m. every Wednesday. It's on our books every week. But I will tell you, the single barrier to this work is not having buy-in from ownership, leadership, and the top people at your organization. Without them at your back saying, yes, green light, go, do what you need to do. Here's a budget. Here are tools. Here are resources. It just doesn't work. You can come up with all the programs you want, but they'll fizzle out. And so um, we're fortunate in our organization to have buy-in from John Henry, Tom Warner, from Sam Kennedy, our CEO and president. And so, you know, we're, we're on a journey with this work and uh, we're nowhere near the end date or end line and there is no end line, but um, we're really excited about the journey. And so we've learned so much from the experience. So at Equity and Respect at the Celtics, I've got a table of 10 uh, amazing, talented, powerful, uh, and super impressive Celtics. Uh, happen to be female, and I believe that they would be much better qualified to speak about it at the Celtics at the, on the business side than I would be, but my hope and belief is that we are gender blind at the Celtics and we uh, just, you know, get it done as a family. That's my hope, and I love being able to say that and that there's no vociferous objections at the moment, but I may get emails later. But I think we're, <laughs> but on the basketball side, our, we've been monolithic um, in terms of gender. We haven't been monochromatic. The Celtics led the way in equality, uh, drafted the first black player, had the first all-black starting five, and had the first black head coach, actually, in professional sports uh, with Bill Russell in that case. But the Celtics have led the way um, in, in the NBA, which has tried to itself lead the way. And I'm speaking about the greats of the past. I'm now getting to the present. We have not had uh, gender diversity on the basketball side until more recently we paid more attention to it and realized the talent that we were overlooking. So we invited Kara Lawson and Allison Feaster into our basketball side. Kara and Allison are both champions on and off the court. Uh, Allison played with Jessica. Jessica taught her everything she knew as she went to a WNBA All-Star and Olympic champion resume. But Allison runs our player development. So Allison is a trusted and vital, um, confidence, wrong word, teammate and collaborator and partner in what we're trying to do. And uh, Kara, we lost to Duke. She's now the head coach of women's, uh, Duke women's basketball. We interviewed her. She was an assistant coach with us and a valued one. And we in interviewed her as part of the mix to come back and be the head coach. Um, but that wasn't quite the time uh, mutually for her, but that was uh, a very serious interview. So anyway, we're trying to do what we can, but uh, like in so many areas, we have more to do. So uh, with New Balance, I'll do internally and externally, which are really different. And I always highlight 
that difference. So externally, you'll see the collabs are hot. I think with every company, collabs are hot. But um, at New Balance, we've really allowed our creators that we hire on to um, really be themselves. And Joe Fresh Goods is one person that comes into mind. He is a creative director for our um, Conversations Amongst Us campaign, which we call them cultural moments. So Black History Month is a month. I say it's every day, right? But the collection will be coming out. Right. Yes. <laughs> the collection will be coming out, um, you know, over the next few months. But we allowed him to really take creative control and to be himself. And Chicago is really special to him. That's where he's from, Southside Chicago. So it's great to allow our creators to really be themselves, to support our athletes and what really matters to them. But internally, our um, associate resource groups have really come into being formalized. Black Souls, like I mentioned, is the black group and I'm blessed to be the chair of that group. But it's really having those spaces where people feel like they can authentically be themselves and feel welcomed. That's a group that was unofficial when I first started about 18 months ago, but they brought me into the unofficial meetings and I felt welcome, especially being across the country, not knowing anyone. And, you know, then someone seeing me on a call and like, hey, you should be in this group. So it really helped me feel at home. But I would say now it's on to having those tough conversations with Leadership, like you said, if ownership, if leadership is not bought in, you know, we need the resources, but we need the message to be, you know, it needs to be preached from the top down. If you don't have that, you really can't make any headway. And then it's like, okay, when we have the tough conversations, we don't need people to just be uncomfortable. We actually need action, right? So yes, we're all in a room. People feel uncomfortable. Now they have to go back and really think, but then we don't need it to go in your notebook or your secretary's you know, notes, and then we never have any action. Like we need to have the uncomfortable conversations. And then what are the next steps? How do we get this implemented? How do we make change happen? And change does not, I know we're all part of these big companies and everyone's like, oh my gosh, we've never done this before. Change takes so long, but sometimes it doesn't. So, you know, sometimes it's people being stubborn and taking more time than it has to take, sometimes it can be really quick and a decision can be made just like if there was a crisis, a decision would be made really quickly. So I think it's having those tough conversations. If there's a community you're trying to reach, like the black community or the Asian community, the um, Latino, Latinx community, you have these people in your organization who are ready to give you the feedback. You don't have to wonder, is this gonna hit with the black community? Why don't you ask? the black people in your office if this is gonna hit or not, right? And of course, black people are not a monolith, so I don't represent all black people, but I can tell you if it's gonna hit with black people better than someone else who's from a totally different community and age group than the one you're trying to hit. So I'm all about tough conversations, preaching it from the top down, but then also like decisions need to be made, change needs to happen on top of those. So. We need to be deliberate and take action. And I've, I've worked with the Kraft family for, for 20 plus years. Ah. Um, but watching and seeing how Robert and Jonathan, what they do for the community and what they give back to the community and their focus on equity is, you know, really inspiring and has laid the foundation for, you know, how, how I think and, and awareness of there is just a tremendous amount of unconscious bias. And I do think it is, is incumbent as leaders to raise awareness, to have a difficult conversation. At Kager, 
Um, you know, 70% of our leadership team is female, which I'm very proud of. You know, one of the things that I think the craft group as a broad organization has done, which again, this is not just the sports group. There's IFP and Rand Whitney and, and the, the craft foundation, which Josh Kraft um, is leading and doing a ph- phenomenal job. But we actually get reports on, on the diversity that we have within, you know, our, our, company and then more broadly across the organization. So data is super important. And then on the other side, again, as a connector, I'm, I'm also the co-founder and co-chair of the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, which, which just happened this past weekend. Thank you. We have really tried to adjust and, and tackle this in three different ways. The first is access. We initiated a mentorship program last year and this year more than doubled in. We had 50 mentees come to the conference that are from historically underrepresented populations in sports and we paired them with someone within the industry. It was quite emotional when we had their first meetup on Friday to see all of these former student leads who, you know, I've been a part of coaching over the past 16 years, giving back, right? But again, creating that forum for younger students to gain access to the conference and to learn and then have someone working with them. The second thing is helping, you know, more senior women in the industry. We initiated with WISE, which is Women in Sports and Events in Wasserman, something called the Multiplier Summit, which we had on on Thursday before the conference. And this was more intimate, about 70 uh, executives and trying to help teach them. It was a professional development, how to apply analytics to their job and how to be comfortable. They don't need to be the analyst, but they need to be able to have comfort with it, to storytell around it, to know who to ask. And that was a full day session that was, you know, we had lectures and senior folks in the industry come back and speak and it was it was really impactful. And then the last thing is the conference is a is a nonprofit that I co-founded with Daryl Morey, who's the president of basketball operations for the Sixers, and he and I became friends when he was at the Celtics. So thank you, Wick. But we actually have created fellowships at MIT Sloan for incoming students, again, for historically underrepresented populations to give to help support them through their uh, MIT Sloan experience. And I think trying to capture all of the different areas, the funnel, you know, the initial point, the opportunity for acceleration, and then getting, again, with my focus predominantly on women, uh, more women into those executive roles where maybe they haven't in the past. But I I think I just want to say there's lots of little moments every day that, you know, we need to help educate people. And there is extreme unconscious bias. And it is in, and I think it's hard for, I would say sometimes for women or minorities to be the people that have to say those things. But like, be open when you receive that feedback because it's not always maybe our responsibility to do that, but we have to do it in order to continue to move everything forward. I'm going to put two questions together. One that was given to me old school, all right? And that one talks about uh, the sports industry and what they want you to do is finish the question. The sports industry needs to do a better job of, but they also want to know what you want to tell the next generation of sports leaders. So those two questions. The sports industry needs to do a better job of dot, 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 dot. And I want to tell you, this is what you should be thinking about. It may seem counterintuitive with everybody in this room, but I think the sports 
industry needs to do a better job of recruiting and reaching out to women. It's incredible to see a table full of Celtics executives here. It's incredible to see someone like Amy Latimer, who's president of the TD Garden. It's incredible to have you on this panel as a female CEO and to be here with D'Amica. But this isn't the norm. Um, I think what we have in the Boston ecosystem is incredibly special. And sometimes I see other front offices and other markets that aren't doing that, that are very male, very white, very old school. And um, and I'll just tell you personally, I never contemplated a career in sports. I just didn't think it was a viable option to me. I didn't know that this was an industry that I could break into. I never thought about it. I was recruited by the Red Sox to come be part of this organization. And I think back to 10 years ago and all of the incredible things that I've been able to be a part of and the relationships that I've had and the World Series championships and all the work that we've been able to accomplish. And I'm sort of sad for that opportunity could have so easily been missed. And so I would love to see the industry as a whole just making sure that it's communicating to women in general, that the industry is open to you, that this is a viable career option to you, and here are some of the different things that you can do in a front office, that it's not just coaching jobs and GM positions and analysts and baseball operations, that there are a slew of opportunities that women fit really well into. So that's what I'd like to see them do a better job of. What was the second part of the question? Your advice to um, the next generation. Of leaders. Just say yes to everything. Say yes. Even if you feel like you're unqualified, nobody knows what they're doing, really. Just say yes. <laughs> Just say yes. That was on the record. You can put that down in, in the article. She's speaking about me. I don't know what. But uh, so I, I'd like sports to do a better job of letting people know it's not about money it's, or remembering that it's not about money. It's about passion and love and teamwork and doing the right thing on the court in the community. That's why, you know, I'm here. My group came in. That's why the Red Sox, I knew at the time, met Tom and John at the time, you know, came in and bought the, they didn't buy it for money. They bought it for love and passion. And that's why the players really deep down do play the game as well. Um, and that's why we're out in the community. So that is the DNA of it. And that's when it works. And whenever anybody asks me, so here's the advice part, I guess, you know, what's it like or how can I get in? Or, you know, I just say, if you're getting into sports, don't get into it with your green eye shade, you know, accounting hat on and say, or try to buy into a team and say, it's going to be a great investment or you, you have to do it because you love it. And if you don't love it, the fans will figure it out immediately, by the way. And then it all fails anyway. So you've got to be in here for the right reasons, and then maybe the economics follow, but it's got to be in that order. So it's just, it's, money's in the paper and money's in the discussion, but that's not why we're all here, and we don't let, really let, any, let anybody know that, but that, that's the truth. So um, I would say uh, the sports industry needs to do a better job at highlighting the good, a little bit like what Wick said, highlighting the good that's being done um, by the people in the industry, whether it's the athletes, whether it's the companies, whether it's the teams. No, I'm not saying, you know, if you donate, have the camera there and it's like a show. No, but there are ways to authentically do these things because I always think if there's a scandal, 
it's going to get out there, right? Like it's going to be highlighted if there's a data breach, if um, there's a doping scandal, it's going to be highlighted. But these, a lot of these companies, whether it's your employee resource group or some of your amazing employees that no one has taken the chance to highlight or it's something that's passionate to one of your, um, you know, athletes or something like that, those things need to be highlighted. One, it's passion projects for people, but people can tell, like you said, when something is authentic and people grab hold to it and people want to know these things and it makes people more human. It makes it, you know, easier to engage and feel like you're connected to that person. So aside from the the showy things and the fashion, I think high, just highlighting those passion projects and all the good that is being done, because I think there's so much good that's being done that is constantly missed. And I think that's just a missed opportunity not to get your name out there, but to show that good is being done for people. So that's really important to me. And I think the sports industry can do a better job at that as a whole. And then what I would tell my younger self, a little bit like you said, is to say yes, but to take the chance, whether it's move across the country, which I think that's a thing that I need to stop doing, but um, <laughs> whether it's picking up and moving across the country or the world at the drop of a, a dime or looking at opportunities that are presented to you that maybe don't go in line with what you thought, right? You thought you were going to work at an NFL team, but a um, minor league baseball team has reached out to you and maybe it's in one uh, area and you want to be in another, but it's just like, take that opportunity because learning, you know, never stops. There's so many transferable skills. We know how it can be a little difficult to get into sports, but when you have those opportunities, take them and um, also don't be afraid to pivot. You know, if there's an opportunity to pivot, like, pivot, be uncomfortable. I think that's the best way to grow. And then that's when you really um, find those good opportunities. So, Damika, one of the reasons that Wick passed the mic was because the last time we were together talking about this, his, his advice was say yes, 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 yes. And he told some of the youngsters in the room, don't be afraid to start. You, you think you, don't, you need to start at this level, start at this level and work your tail off to get to all those levels and so and I'll say I started as an intern at the Vikings which was my where I was before I came to New Balance but I started off as an intern out of law school for a month internship that I kind of parlayed into some other things it was a hustle one of my former interns is here with me but um yeah we have just like parlayed it and so it really worked out but I would say like start at the bottom it's not always sexy you're not going to be on these wonderful panels with these people right at the beginning, but I think if you work hard, those things may come if you will work hard and start at the bottom. And there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) All right. So um, invest in women, hire women, pay women, having managed men and women, women don't ask. So sometimes you have to fight for them. Um, So that is super there. Uh, In terms of the in terms of the, the, the future, I would say be curious. Um, there's nothing that I'm doing today that I knew how to do even six years ago when Kager spun out of craft sports and entertainment and talk to people, learn and be open. I guess it's very similar to the say yes, but it's, it's about constantly wanting to be better. Thank you to our guests for sharing their insight on the business of sports. We also want to thank our moderator, Dr. Keith Motley from the UMass College of Management. I'm Saskia Epstein. B 
Be sure to join us next time for another engaging episode of PNC C-Speak. Until next time. You've been listening to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. This podcast and other engaging episodes can be found at bizjournals.com slash Boston. Search PNC. Come back soon and join us for another PNC C-Speak.